Welcome back to The Latecomers. I'm Amity. I'm Lemuel. And we're having a late record this evening. We welcome you to episode five of Lisey's Story. Uh, before we get started, how was your week? My week was actually pretty good. It's been very sunny here, and I don't like the weather. And it's pestering me, but it's been a good productive week. How was yours? Uh, good. Hot, as you say. Uh, yeah, it's been warm. I uh, don't love it. Hopefully tomorrow it will be fall. That would be I, nice. I haven't had the energy to do anything. Yeah. And that's kind of the problem, is that I would love to have a wonderful story because I've had some lately. I went hiking. I got to the top of a mountain. I No, today I just basically don't have the energy to do anything. I'm planning to probably go directly to bed after this is done. Yeah, same. It's uh, 7.30, which is later than we normally start. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't anticipate this week to be a long episode, but I didn't anticipate last week's to be a long episode, and it was a pretty long episode. Surprising, but yeah. I don't think we're going to get there on this one, guys, because... Mm-mm. Almost nothing happens. Our game state does not change in this entire episode. What do I mean by that? Where Lisi was in the present time last week, and where she is now... It's the same place. We went back in time for a little while, but we have got no forward moment momentum on the story. We've got filled-in information. Well, that's kind of like you're saying. Last week, she was beaten up and bloodied and left in the house. The episode ends this week in the exact same condition. Yep, not just in the house. Right. At the end of last week's episode, she was sitting by the pool. Oh, that's okay. I'm she sorry. literally hasn't moved, except I think maybe she's going to get in the pool now. Well, I think she does get, like, what does she? I don't think she has It's yet. hard to tell for me what's flashback and what's happened currently. That's part of it. Okay, so before we get started, we watched episode five, The Good Brother. Uh, content warning on this one, uh, child abuse and murder. Yeah. Uh, this is a thing I just learned. Did not realize who was playing the father of the young boys in the flashbacks. That'd be Michael Pitt, an actor I like very much or didn't recognize. At all. So, good job, I guess. <laughs> good job. Well, he's so bedraggled looking. Yeah. You know, I, I made a point to, uh, at one point I was telling you, it looks like a Rob Zombie he's film. He's also got much darker facial hair and uh-huh. head hair than I think of him having. Um, I think of him being much blonder, uh, which apparently is a lie. <laughs> this is a lie that my brain has told me. Um, so, in this one... We get a weird scene at the beginning that I don't really understand why it's there. And it is, except for me to be more mad at people and the police. Uh, It is a scene where Jim, from Amanda's house, calls Professor Dashmiel and tells him, you know, he's almost successful and he's got some good Mm -hmm. stuff. And And he's sitting somewhere reading the material, right? He's sitting in Amanda's bed. Okay. And he is reading the material. And Dashmiel's like, I want you to stop this, that, and the other. And he's like, can't stop now. Won't, can't stop, won't stop. Can't stop, won't stop. And uh, and I promise you that what Dashmiel doesn't do is call the police and say, he's called me from this phone number. Mm-hmm. So I don't know the point of, I don't know the point of that scene, except to make him a feature you have to have each of those actors in every episode. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know why it's there. The whole of the rest of the episode trans- uh, 
It takes place with flashes between Lisi's beaten self sitting next to uh, the pool mm-hmm. in the Adirondack chair, uh, looking up at the sky. So there's a lot of flashes of her face doing that. Right. Uh, then we t- have flashes to the um, the tree, the yum yum tree, the honeymoon. Well, I'm calling it the honeymoon. It's basically a honeymoon. Right. Um, and then further flashbacks all the way back, all the way back, all the way back into Scott's childhood, and we find out what happened to Paul. What happened to Paul is Paul either was supernaturally um, possessed by something mm. or had a psychotic break. <laughs> One of those two things happened. Uh, and his dad felt, their, their dad felt he could no longer cut the bat out. So he chains Paul up by the neck to the farm equipment in the in the barn and feeds him and keeps him tied up out there for weeks. Right. Uh, leaving Scott home alone with his brother because he had to still go to get to do work. So that's cool. Uh, and then it one point Scott's like I want we want, we should drug him and I should take him to the pool and it'll heal him that is the plan uh the plan uh, doesn't go, go great and Paul attacks Scott and to save Scott their father shoots Paul at which point it is very easy for Scott to move that's the thing. He tries to move him. He they knock him out with. Well, they ketamine. tried to. I don't think it gets that far. That they he's knock him out with him. the ketamine. He's laying unconscious. Okay. And Scott can't move him. He says he's heavy. He's here, and I can't move him. But then he wakes up, and that's when he he attacks. And their father kills him. And uh, then Scott is able to move him right as rain, and he bounces over to the uh, to Sweetheart Hill. Digs a hole in the soft earth at the base of a tree and buries him. The end. <laughs> that's the, that's what happens in this episode, right? right? Like nothing else. And we see flashes of Lisi being told the story in the first place mm-hmm. and then telling Scott in no uncertain terms, I never want to talk about this again, which is deeply fucked up. So <laughs> what makes you think that he's not supernaturally possessed? Well, I don't know. I don't know that he is or that he isn't. Okay. He could be having a psychiatric incident. Yeah, I think that... If mom had psychiatric... Uh, I mean, he, yes, we think that... We we believe right now that this place, this Booyah Moon, is right. real. Or it is a shared delusion among all of them, what which is a possibility. What persuaded, rather, persuaded, what persuaded me thing. is the fact that he's able to move a tractor. Mm-hmm. An adolescent With his boy. neck. With his neck. He's chained he's to this. chained by the neck. And he's playing a, an enormous tractor by himself. So when his, it's almost as if Scott, little Scott, is yeah. not fully convinced that this is happening to him. He's not convinced of any of his father's mythology because his father's the one making it up as he goes along. Right. And his father even admits that he doesn't quite know no. what's going on. And he, but, but he's not even, I mean, he's also, mm-hmm. he doesn't believe he talks about Booyah Moon as that place that you guys made up. Right. What do you call it? Booyah Moon? That's not his name right. for it. So 
my my I think structurally my problem is they're trying to convey convey this place, mm-hmm. this fantastical place, as real, but they're doing it through this jarring, cut up ideas of a child right. instead of just definitively telling me whether this place is real. Right. And then they made me watch a child be tortured for 40 minutes. Like, I um, did not rewatch this episode. I've rewatched every mm. episode we've watched to take notes on at the second time. Right. Didn't do it today. Had the time. Did not have the will. I just, I didn't. And I knew that I wasn't going to get, like, good note. Nothing happens except we watch a child tortured and then killed for 40 minutes. And then Lisi realizes that she it, it is real. That's the other thing. We get the that's the there is another flashback inside of this. It's not just those two times. It's also the time that she saved Scott when he right. went and couldn't come back. When he went too far. He she goes in. She finds him on the steps where everyone there is like, you need to be quiet, you need to be quiet, you're going to bring the long boy. And she's like trying to get Scott to come with her. And Scott's like, weighted down by this blanket. And then she's like, fine, I'm leaving, but I'm taking this Afghan. Mm-hmm. It's my grandma, or it's my mother's Afghan, and it's mine, and I'm taking it with me. She takes that, and she walks out, at which point Scott like shakes it off and goes after her because he also can hear the long boy coming. And he stops her. And he's like, you know, think of something Mm -hmm. to get us back, get us out of here. And then he says, drop the Afghan, it's an anchor. So there are these things that will keep you here or keep you there. Uh, Apparently, the Afghan was an anchor. The mighty Afghan. They drop it and then they bounce back and then she has saved him. She has saved him once with a shovel and once by taking her Afghan back. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that did happen um, in this episode as well. And so what we come to realize at the end of this episode is she has thought about all of these things and she has realized the water is the best. And she needs to go to Booyah Moon because what she realizes, fundamentally what she's realized is her bull hunt is not Dooley, mm-hmm. which of course it isn't because Scott didn't know who the fuck this dude was. Right. The bull hunt is to save Amanda who is in Booyah Moon, and who she saved one person before, so go get go get your sister. But unfortunately, we have this third party who's really fucking things up, and who the police can't and won't do anything about. Uh, and let's see what happens next week. I don't, I don't know. You got anything else? I don't. I, there's not... We're ten minutes in. I what like, I'm curious about is... Just the, what you feel about the way the story is being told. And also, how off-putting is it for you? Because we've spent several episodes now just watching people being beaten and tortured. Yeah, I'm, I I was listening to um, Blank Check, which is mm-hmm. a podcast about filmographies. Um, yeah. And they're doing John Carpenter right now. And John Carpenter in 1983, as you know, as we know, uh, directed Christine. Mm-hmm. So they had a crossover episode with King Cast, which is a much more popular show than the show is, who, that talks only about Stephen King stuff. Mm-hmm. And the host of that show said he was watching this 
adaptation. show, this mm-hmm. adaptation, when it came out, and he didn't finish it. Now, my my bet is that at some point they're going to talk about it on the show. He will watch it for the show. But it was it is so bleak. Mm-hmm. There is no humor injected into it, and that is Stephen King. Translate. That's what the book is, and the, in the book, it's fine mm-hmm. because you can kind of put it down, walk away. Right. You know. In this, it's really tough to just push play on the next episode because I'm just like, how many more basically innocent people am I going to see tortured? Right. Because even if Paul was possessed, sh- sure, let's take it. Let's say he is. He mm-hmm. is possessed by something from Booyah Moon from when the long boy scratched him in the previous uh, instance. That's still the body of a 12-year-old boy that is chained by the neck to a tractor right. and screaming. That is what I am That's looking at. That's the entire at. episode. Really, That's the entire there, episode, just, which is why I was like, I'm not doing it again. screaming like an air raid siren in the background the entire episode. Um... Uh, it's what I meant the comparison. And it's this beautiful, angelic looking blonde child right. who's barely into puberty. Like he might be that actor might be twelve, thirteen. Mm-hmm. He's very baby faced. He's for sure older than the, the kid that plays Scott's like six or seven. Right. Oh well, he's supposed to be six or seven is probably eight or nine, but looks very young. And this kid, I don't know how old he is. Um I could actually look him up, I will. Um, but he, um, looks very young. No, even peach fuzz on his face. Chained by the neck. Right. And screaming. And it's just, it's a lot, y'all. It's a lot. So, the comparison I made to Rob Zombie when I was watching it with you is the first thing that I'm finding kind of distasteful. Everyone in these flashbacks, they're just dirt poor and they're filthy and there's not so it's there's an element of watching people living in absolute dire poverty although not so much poverty as ignorance and poverty because the father refuses to communicate with anybody he's a he apparently has a conspiracy theory about everyone in the world including the police including doctors including churches he just doesn't believe that anyone's acting in his interests or will act in his interests um I don't think the children are formally educated anyway. That's the impression I'm getting. It doesn't seem like it. So the child, the child in question, mm-hmm. his name is Clark Furlong. He's um, he's in Euphoria um, as the young version of one of the characters on that. And is there I, any relation to Edward Fool? He is not. Not okay. that I can see, no. Um... He's 14 now. So 13, 14, when they were filming this, it, it couldn't have been too long ago. So, um, yeah, a child, a baby, chained by the neck. I cannot state this enough. Yeah, I just, I, there's just kind of a dirtiness and a desperation, and uh, it, it's getting increasingly hard to watch. I did appreciate, because uh-huh. I... Th- it the the whole all of the flashbacks to the farm mm-hmm. have a frailty feel to them. If you guys don't know right. what I'm talking about, there's a movie called Frailty 
from, I want to say like 2004, 2005. Um, and it's got Ed, uh, Bill Paxton and Matthew McConaughey. Uh, who else? Let me find it. Oh, 2001, so even older than I had thought, 20 years mm. Twenty years ago. Um, Bill Paxton, Matthew McConaughey, Powers Booth, those are the main three, um, about two sons and their father who go on a demon hunting right. spree, and it is not clear whether there are demons or dad is psychotic and seeing things. And so it is unclear this whole time how lucid the father is. He's definitely mm. a drinker, but we know he's also a cutter, and he's saying that his child is possessed. Um, but also, after he shoots Paul, he knows he's going to jail. Like, yeah. he knows that they are in trouble. And I, my assumption then is because Scott took Paul and buried him in Booyah Moon, that they filed a missing persons case. And I don't even know if they did. That's why I'm guessing if we they were we ever formally educated, did they ever show up in a school? Does anybody even know that kid is there? People know that, yes, because people know that his father, like know his father at work. They know They know that he's got kids. They do because they talk about people will ask questions. I have to go to work, mm-hmm. or or when when um um uh when Lisi goes, you were you know he went to work. He left you there. He went to work. Mm-hmm. He's like, yeah, he asked. He he he. People couldn't ask questions. People See, couldn't come out and investigate. Right. And he had to buy the food that and the electricity. My issue so Once far again, is- Clive Owen talking like a. F- in this the story episode. is so disjointed and presented in such a way that I am not very clear on any of what's going on. It's giving me details, but not the ones I need to be able to be really invested in the story. It's just sort of giving me these sort of flashbacks and these images, really, and it's not... I don't feel like it's giving... I, I can't get connected to this story. The characters, I can see that because I, they're making right. it really hard for me to engage, and I'm following it. The characters that I can, I feel... But I can only stay with you so long before I'm right. just like, I don't care anymore. Right. The characters that I feel really most engaged with, even though they're not even the most likable characters, are his sisters. Because one of them is obviously going through some distress. The other one is a more fully developed character where I feel like I can understand her. I don't know what's up with Lisi right now. No, and and honestly, like I said, I said it last week, I'll say it again, I'm not a person who's like, you should call the police for help. Right. Because typically the police can't help you. The police will cause as many problems as they solve. In this particular case, she needs to call the police for help. Mm -hmm. And she needs to lock up the papers. I just, I don't... There's a weird jump in logic where I don't know why people aren't doing the things that will cause them the the least trouble. You know... She has a choice between a gun and she chooses a shovel. She won't choose a gun, and I understand. I understand not picking up a gun. I had a very strong fear and aversion to guns for a long time. I Mm -hmm. physically couldn't have picked up a gun if my life depended on it at that point. So I get it. I get that. I don't get why she has not called a Brinks truck to pick up these papers. Mm -hmm. I don't get why she has not walked out. You know who the cop is? I knew he looked familiar. It's Sung Kang. 
Go tell the police officer. Don't mm. even say anything. Stand in his lights and just stand there. You don't right. have to say anything. Get your sisters some protection. Because here's the thing. Jim Dooley is not a genius in any way. He's also not a militia. So he's not going to break in past any kind of armed guards at all. He's also not subtle. I would guess you could smell him from a fair distance. He seems very greasy. Dane DeHaan is so filthy in this. (laughs) It's wild. Um, and, And I just, I don't... I like when in a movie, like, I like, I knew The Strangers was going to be scary. The movie mm. The Strangers was going to be scary because in the first 10 minutes or 15 minutes, we see Liv Tyler getting out of a dress and putting on some pants and plugging in her phone, which tells me she's not an idiot. Yeah. I am not persuaded as such as by the sisters in this family that they are not I'd like to believe idiots. that the suggestion is that Lisi is so stuck in grief that she can't make rational decisions. Okay. That's the only excuse I can see for some of the decisions that she's making where she basically is not acting at all. I could be on board with that. Mm -hmm. And once again, I understand we all grieved. There's no window of grief. There's Mm -hmm. Her family is very meddlesome. I feel like they would have forced her into getting help a year ago. It's been two years since Scott's death. It's been two I mean, I'm not saying that that years. makes sense or that's the reason. I'm saying that's the only reason that's I can right. think of. And, and I don't... That doesn't jive with my understanding mm. of this family. Unless they're just like, well, now you're miserable just like us. So ha, ha, ha. I could see that being I can see a that being a passive aggressive. But that's show. what's her name? Uh Jennifer Jason. Darla, yeah. Yeah. I can see that being her motivation because she seems to be equally angry that Lisi is wealthy and successful and then was angry as we see in flashback at her that she had no chance at wealth or success. So even yeah. when she's complaining, I, your husband she, didn't get a very big advance, did he? Yeah. Blah, 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 blah. They must think it's gonna the book is right. And anything. then no matter how successful he became, there's always more criticism. So she's going to be dissatisfied yeah. no matter what. Yeah. So maybe maybe that. Maybe fine. Maybe she is clinically mm-hmm. in a deep, deep depression. But what bothers me about it still is that at no point does she, even when she's literally faced with death, does she make any decisions in the interest of self-preservation, any rational decisions. And I don't know what... She's holding onto these papers for right. Like we also haven't gotten indication that that's what Scott wanted. Mm-hmm. So is it just spite that she doesn't like Dash Meal? There are other. I'm. He won National Book Awards. Dash Meal mm-hmm. is not the only academic or person that she could turn this stuff over to. Right. She could start, she's got a lot of money. She could just build a little library there and have all of his books in the lot. They did build a library. They built that library, right, that we saw at the beginning that that Dooley went to. Um, She could just have a special room there with all of his papers and books. 
done. Like yeah. I don't, I don't understand any of these choices, and because and and I'm not getting any explanation for them. So I'm starting to not give a how, fuck how about I, any of these people. I care Scott, about Amanda. How does Scott die? We don't know. Exactly. How many I episodes? am we are not five entirely episodes convinced in. that Scott died. No. I'm I, partially convinced right. that Scott just disappeared mm-hmm. and his double poofed. That, that Scott that we keep seeing right. sitting behind Amanda in Booyah Moon is just Scott. And it's and fine with him that his wife is being tortured right now. Yeah. Cool, cool. You're a great dude. I just, I can't make any sense of the story at this point. I don't know. And <laughs> we have, like, it's, you know, I am I, um, not too long ago criticized a movie for laying out things through exposition very quickly in the first opening scenes in a ridiculous way that just kind of made it look like, here, we're laying everything out so you don't have to think about it anymore. But as I'm watching this program, I'm going, I could use a little of that. I could use... I could use a little of that. I could use somebody just saying, just taking a break and explain to me, why is he dead? How did he die? Did he just disappear, as you're pointing out? Because that same thought occurred to me. Like, well... You know, where's he buried? Where's what's going yeah. on? I, I don't get, I don't have any clear sense, and I haven't up until now, about what's going on. And it's not presented in any way that makes it clear or simple for me. No, and, and all we know about his death is that for Hirsch, he's not really gone. And I'm mm-hmm. like, is that because he's not really gone? Right. Is that because there's no body? Yeah. So she had nothing to bury, nothing to give a definitive closure to her? Right. Because if so, hey, hoodie motherfucker, how about you get up and go home? Yeah. You've been here long enough. Look what you're doing. And I don't know exactly what his his motivation is for staying there, if that's the case. Maybe he's, I mean, maybe he's trapped. Maybe he can't get back. That is my hope. It's the hoodie. The hoodie's an anchor. It's the hoodie is an anchor. Oh, good Lord. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> I know. I'm getting really frustrated. And the thing mm-hmm. that sucks is I think it's beautiful. And I think everybody who's acting in this is doing a great job. Yeah. And I'm mad at Stephen King because he's the one that's writing it. Mm. Um, and I presume that the order of operations, how we're getting information, is script-based, mm. not director-based. I could be wrong, but I have a feeling that it's flashback, 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 written into the script nested the way that it is. I don't think I, it's an editing choice. I almost want I to read the book, choice. although I'm mean, in the middle of so many things right now, just to see if it's any clearer in the book what's going on than I, it is in the film. I bet, there is, I bet it is. Mm-hmm. Um, I, but also, in a lot of times in a book, they'll give you a piece of information that they don't give you so, so up front in a piece of um, visual media. Yeah. Um, just to keep you there. Right. Because a lot of people think in visual media, well, if I can give them enough interesting shit to look at, then they'll stay with me. But guys, that's not true. I mean, it is. We're going to finish this thing. We're going to get to the end. Yeah. We've got three more episodes. We're going to do it. But if I was watching this on my own, I don't know that I would. I probably would have given up earlier because I just got Or we just, I'd just be like... On a Sunday, I'd just right. put it on, and I'd just watch the whole thing, and I'd be like, okay, that's done. I wouldn't... This waiting, this this week-to-weakness that we're doing mm-hmm. is rough. 
Um, hopefully next week I'll be able to go back and take better notes. But I, like I said, I'm, I don't no, think this yeah, suffered I, from me not having notes. Nothing happened in... There was... The game state did not change. Mm-hmm. Julianne Moore is still sitting by her pool, beat the fuck up. Nobody knows except Jim Dooley. Right. And Jim Dooley is still at Amanda's house reading some papers. And we know that he's not about to stop because Dashmill told him to stop. And he's like, nope, can't do that. And I'm just like, uh. so he's also a liar. That's the other thing is if he calls people a liar and uh, chastises them, which he has done, if he does it again, I'm going to be real mad. Well, there's no sense of, of urgency either with the storytelling or with the characters. Like, they're not doing anything. He beats her up, he cuts her up, and then just sort of sits, as they're pointing out, in her bed and reading. And well, because then, he says he's going to be back 9 o'clock tomorrow. Oh, that's, the, that's another thing that happens mm-hmm. in this episode. She, he tell he had given her the ultimatum if you if um don't tell anybody and if I don't hear from Dashmill by nine a nine p.m. tomorrow I'm gonna kill you and but I'm gonna kill your sisters first or no I'm gonna be back that's mm. what he said it, he left his sister her sister out, out of it so we know she's got a deadline of nine p.m. the next day right. and my sense is that it was sundown when he left so maybe eight o'clock at night. So this takes place that evening. Mm. Maybe it's 11 when he calls right. Dashmiel. And he is at Amanda's house. I, once again, I don't know how the fuck he knows where Amanda lives. Um, Darla got out unscathed. But at least he does send a text this episode. So that is a thing that changed. Lisi sends a text to Darla that says, I think I can help Amanda come by tomorrow at 9. Tomorrow at 9 is when Jim Dooley is supposed to come back and uh, exactly she's anticipating revenge. that Darla has a gun? She knows Darla has the gun, but she, I don't think she didn't tell her, bring it. Mm. So now you're bringing your sister into this situation. Now, it's also possible that she realizes that Dooley doesn't have any weapons. Because mm. what was his weapon? A pizza, a pizza cutter. cutter. I think if she and Darla went after him and all he had was a pizza cutter, they may right. win. It's just, though, I don't... Yeah. I don't know. Everyone, I don't know. And I'm sad about it. Um, I don't want to talk about it anymore. Let's talk about something else. Um, okay. So next week we're going to watch Now You Must Be Still. That's episode six. That's not an encouraging title. And, uh, yeah, I'm not going to read the little thing in Wikipedia. Yeah, Now You Must Be Still is the next episode. And until then, and I already know the answer to this question, but do you have anything that you want to recommend that you'd prefer to talk about? I don't know. You'd go first. Oh, you're not going to recommend? I'm curious because I want to have this discussion. Okay, cool. Okay. Uh, yeah, I'm going to recommend the thing we literally just finished watching, which is Midnight Mass on Netflix. The third Mike Flanagan, House on a Haunted Hill, Bly Manor series. Uh-huh. This one's a little Salem's Lottie, a little Storm of the century Mix there's both there's of those Stephen two King's fingerprints are all over all over it. Yeah, um, there's a seven-part 
series. Mm-hmm. I was listening to a podcast earlier where Paul, Paul Topkins was excited because they were recording the day that it dropped, which was two Fridays ago. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I love the Michael Flanagan shows. Uh, everyone's hot, everyone's haunted, and everyone gets a speech, which I think is ass. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, damn, dude, that's good. <laughs> so what did you like about it? Uh, all, all of it. I liked all of it. Okay. I don't want to spoil anything. That's a difficult part. It's hard to We're talk about. We're not going to talk fine. about it. Mm-hmm. We called some stuff early, mm-hmm. like just sort of tongue in cheek, but we were right. right. I liked all the acting. I liked the writing. I liked the pace of the story. I liked what happened. I, it has very strong religious themes. Mm-hmm. As a non-religious person, that didn't bother me. As, As a, a religious, religious person, person, it bothered me. It bothered you. Um, so. And that's something that I uh, I think that... I, I thought it was very interesting, right. and I thought uh-huh. that it handled it... I thought it was respectful. As a religious person, this is going to be the issue for some people in the audience. Um, there is... <laughs> this sounds really weird. A misuse of sacred objects... Mm-hmm. And that's the farthest I'll go with it because giving yep. any more will explain the plot. But it was really uncomfortable at times yep. watching it. And I can. But I, I do think that uh, they did a good job, right? Breaking up the fact that the people misusing those objects believed themselves to be not misusing those right. objects. Although there's a realization that and, that yes, we're not going to describe. It's too um, late, but yes, I can understand that this is a very interesting piece on weaponizing religion mm-hmm. to an end that it's not supposed to be used for. And there's a great cognizance of some of the characters in there to say, no, this is not this right. This isn't right. But yeah. yes, but there seems that... Um, because you can spout a Bible verse that, that, that says what you want it to say, mm-hmm. Just yes. like stati- Bible verses and statistics are very similar in that way. You can find a verse that'll back you up. Right. Whatever that belief you have. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can find a statistic that will back you up. Whatever belief you have. You right. can make, you can, out, outside of context, yeah, you know. I, I have to point out the, it is a beautiful looking series. Yes. All, all of his are very good. Right. I haven't seen the second one because I had to bow out of Turn of the Screw remakes because they right, were we saw them. They kept just popping so up many and the they were so bad yes. and I just couldn't do it. But I've been told that this is good and now that I've watched this, I probably will go back and watch this. Yeah, second. and I it will. is. It, like I said, it's like an MCU for all of Henry James' ghost stories and people don't yeah. realize that he wrote several yeah. really compelling and good ones. And this story kind of melds them all together. Yeah. Including the period pieces in a really clever yeah. way. And I would also argue that he gives away some of the stuff right off the bat. Mm-hmm. Just in the use of certain makeup yeah. and applications where you're like, why does that person obviously wearing a, an uh, just a butt ton of makeup right mm. now. Oh, this is why. Uh, I don't. I don't want to get too specific, but there's there was a particular yeah. um, actor or actress where I was every time they were on the screen, I was like, "What is happening right now?" And then it turns out we we see why they did it. Right. But I do think that they did it to a. They did it in an obvious way. Mm-hmm. They did it in like this. It, 
I'm not going to say that because it was a Yeah, you don't want to so give gonna, anything yeah. away because there's... I do think it's good. I think uh-huh. the way that it doles out its information is very good and very interesting. Right. Unlike the show that we're talking about in in, in this series. Um, no, I think Mike Flanagan's really, really good. I really love Dr. Sleep. If... I really love Oculus. I, I really loved Hush. Right. I like his work. Which I haven't seen. Hush is good. I think right. you would like it. You like Katie Seagal. She mm-hmm. stars in it because right. she stars in many of his things. His wife and collaborator. Right. <laughs> collaborator and wife. Mm. Both. Uh, I also appreciated... It was It was a little weird because uh, the two two of the main characters were Katie Seagal or Siegel. I don't know mm-hmm. how, how she pronounces her last name. Uh, I think it's Siegel. S-E-I-G-A-L. Um, and... I've forgotten his name. Zach. Sorry, I'm going to look it up. Mm-hmm. Matt Saracen. But that's not his name. Zach Guilford is his okay. name. Uh, who oh, you may know from Friday Night Lights. You don't know from Friday no, Night Lights because you have never watched Friday Night Lights. But uh, listeners may know from Friday Night Lights. And I have not seen him in anything since Friday Night Lights, so he mm. is still. And I was confused by their casting a little bit because they are, first of all, they were supposed to be contemporaries, and they are, in fact, the actors are the same age. Mm-hmm. But the actors are both 39 years old. And I would argue That's that amazing. their character... Yes. Yeah. Both, first of all, both of them look amazing. And they were both playing probably about 31. They both look 31. That's yeah. kind of... yeah. It was just weird because I was like, how close in age are they? Because it seemed like they were close in age. Mm-hmm. And I was like, holy hell, they're like months apart. Right. She's a little bit older than him, like two months or three months older than him in real life, but they are both 39. And I would argue, given the timeline of events, they're 29 to 31 in the show. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was a little bit odd, but I think he cast, I think he we were talking about this. I was like, what do you think? Do you think he writes something and says, this is the part you're going to be? Or do you think she says, hey, in that thing you're doing, I want to be this? Or does she say, this is the kind of character I'd like to play next. Mm-hmm. Put Find a place for that. Like, I'm just curious how it, how it works. Um, but... I think that both of their characters were about to be like, um, but they, like I said, like you said, they both look, they, they didn't look too old. John, I just like that they were the same. John age. Krasinski and Emily Blunt. Yeah. Where she just picks out a script for him and says, this is, this is what you're going to make. This is the script that we're going to make. And this is my part. in it. <laughs> so, well, I think in that case it yeah. was, we're going to make this, I'm going to make a with or without you. You want to mm. direct, you wanted to direct. So now's your chance. So, yeah, uh, but I I really liked it. I thought it was beautiful, and I thought it was poignant. Mm-hmm. There were some Catholic masses I would totally have gone to, and then one or two where I was like, ooh, we've turned a corner. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know if It's we're... because of that that I still, I still have some reservations, because we just finished it tonight. Yeah, just literally before just before we started. And that. so I think that it ended in a really, really good, I don't know. I don't want to give anything away. The other, yeah, no. But the other thing is, it's, there is uh, a there is a question I think through the fifth episode of intent mm-hmm. or actuality. 
And there is a point at the end of the fifth episode where the director tells us very strongly what the intent is. Like, right. what's what's subjectively and objectively true. Right. Um, or what's objectively true in the midst of all this subjective mm. possibilities, right? But it's done in a beautiful, clear way that takes 20 seconds. Mm. And I appreciate a filmmaker who knows the intent of what they're trying to yeah. do. And maybe I'm also juxtaposing that with this story where I'm still not sure what, other than making me feel sad, right. what, the, what the filmmaker's intent is with Lisa's I, I knew, a, a, because we both worked in the whatever ends of the publishing industry, mm. you know, um, I've worked at all ends the of the end. I worked at the at the yeah, butt but end. the distribution, the you know everything. And when we did, Endless Ashes was a popular book, and I I knew somebody mm. who absolutely could not finish the book because it was just so bleak. horribly bleak and yeah. depressing for them. And even though it was a very popular book, he just could not get through it. And that's okay. Yeah, it's sometimes it's not for you, and I'm increasingly feel like Lisey's story is not for me. Mm. At the same time, having watched Midnight Mass, I see when somebody is being very clear in developing characters and is telling the story. There are flashbacks there as well, but in a way, in a more linear way that I can tell. And mm. I think that, as I've said here before, and look, I'm saying it again, that. For things with fa fantasy elements, it is really much better just to be straightforward as you I can. need to know the parameters right. of the world that we're in, and they want to be precious about telling me what they are, yeah. which makes me just go, fine, fine. And being that you this don't, is, I don't want to uh, play then. I don't want to play. If you're not going to give me the rules to this game, I don't right. want to play it. It's not fair. When I'm looking at the... Um, the the story as it is, like we're, we're, if we're comparing the two, I look at Lisi's story. I still don't know what's going on, and episode after episode, I'm treated to these flashbacks and flashbacks the main character couldn't have had, and flashbacks of characters that might be dead, and and so I I just I can't get through it. It's kind of becoming and a slog. Um, there's something to in media res, mm -hmm. and then there's whatever we've decided to do to narrative in. Right visual mediums, which is every fucking thing starts with a scene and then two weeks prior, two months prior, two years prior, two minutes prior. I can't. I'm tired. You know what Meteorist J.J. Abrams works? ruins yes. everything. Meteorist works in classical literature you read a lot. When Meteorist Greek, works right. when it's not but stereotypical. And you're reading the Greek myths, right? They start in the middle of the Trojan War, or uh, Paradise Lost starts in the middle of War in Heaven. Mm -hmm. The audience for both of those things knew the story. Right. It's like, I don't need to go all the way to the beginning yeah. of the story to right. understand God's fighting Satan, yeah. and here we go. This is a story that we that every Christian citizen in this period of time knows. Knows, yeah. And the Trojan War was a story that every Greek knew. And media, um, like I said, media rest yeah. works a lot of things. But just throwing a person in the middle of something where you don't understand what the hell is going on just to do it. Look, just there's to do an it. elephant. Now we're going to see how there's an elephant. Here. Right. It, it, it just, and yeah, it, it, 
I think that approach, the J.J. Abrams approach, really came from television, which is yeah. grab them before the first commercial, because if exactly not, they'll go somewhere else. That's exactly what it is. And we don't and have it to... it can work. It, but yeah, it's but in literally I'm everything. I'm getting yeah. so tired it's of it, though. over 50% of shows that I watch. Mm-hmm. Over 50%. Yeah. That's too many. And it's almost always unnecessary. Yeah. Right? 911, Ryan Murphy, he does it all the time. So I like 911, it's my favorite of the Ryan Murphy properties. Um, but this summer, every time there was an ad in, on Fox, it was mm. the blackouts coming, the blackouts coming, the blackouts coming. So you know what I knew? A blackout was coming. So mm. you know what I didn't need? Two weeks into the fucking blackout, and right. then you to tell me, oh, two weeks ago this happened. I don't need it. You've been telling me for three goddamn months <laughs> you are that there's going to be a blackout. Yeah. I just, I'm I, tired. I'm, yeah, I, I just, I don't, I don't like this kind of storytelling. I don't, I think in a book it's easier, you can follow it better, but I'm just at such a loss in recent story. It can be used that I well, but I don't think it. they're using it well. And I don't think it works in a fantasy situation where you're still... Mm-hmm. This this work particularly is fighting against itself because we have a main character who doesn't want to believe the world that she's in. Right. That's a problem as a viewer because then you know what we feel like? We don't want to be in the world that we're in. Mm-hmm. Which means she is a character. She has to stay there. I don't. And if all I'm getting is pushback and I can't deal with this, and it's too much, then what I'm hearing is, I can't deal with this, and it's too much, and right. I should probably bounce. It's, it's, it's an odd decision so that I'll, they're I'll making. You, so you recommend Midnight Mass? I do. I recommend too, but I am really cautioning people, especially if this was your upbringing, it's going to be difficult to see some of those things. Catholicism is put in some light. Well, it's, okay, some, this is where... It is, it is looked at slant. It's looked at but by I a person who is... But I do believe that Mike Flanagan maybe Was raised Catholic, Catholic, obviously, and has, like, obviously questioned that belief. The issue is that it is going to... It's really about the misuse of religion, and it's made very clear that it's being misused. It's not as if to say, this is what religion is. No, it is not. And that's but, uh, the my, saving grace of it. But yes, yeah, my same. view of it, what what I uh-huh. what I thought was very interesting in it is, if your lens is Catholicism, mm-hmm. how do you see this event? This it is a fantasy event that happens when looking through the lens of Catholicism. And I think it puts an it's it's. I think it's a respectful well, and interesting. You put it this way: this person, given their upbringing and their background, would interpret this a certain mm-hmm. way, even though they know probably in their heart of hearts that this is not what's yep. actually happening. And we find that out at the right. very end. And, right? But yes, listen to the mea culpa situation at the end. <laughs> appropriately but, enough, being Catholic. Yes, indeed. Um, but yes, there are moments when it's just cringy. But everybody is so good in it. Yeah, everyone is very good in it. Everyone is absolutely... Hamish Linklater is one of my favorite actors. He has been for a long time. He's in random stuff all over the place. He's so good in this. Scott Gilford, really great in this. Katie Siegel, really, really good in this. 
Whoever plays Zach Elford's mom, she's quite good in this. Um, the kids are very good in this. Yeah, the kids and are the woman that plays Bev, who is a yes, demon who from is hell. <laughs> absolutely is obviously inspired by Mother Comedy. Yeah. And that was And also because literally I, every church has this well, woman, I think. You know, I'll tell you who she is. Okay. All right. As a person who grew up and lived yeah, in the please church. Do, I don't Her have name that. is Sister Emily. Sister Emily sits in the back of the church. Her her burden in life, she would say, is her slightly younger brother. I mean, she's in her late 60s at this point. Her slightly younger brother, who uh, in this case, unfortunately, was developmentally disabled in the case that I remember. Mm. And Sister Emily would um, just had an opinion about everything. An opinion about the way that everyone else was dressing. She was looking at other people's lifestyles. She was, um, what was the thing I heard once? It never happened to me because there were kids running around the church and she would grab them and they would sit next to her and if they fidgeted, she would stick them with a hat pin. Um, These are also the same women that are like, the church doors have been open to you and you've never come. And I'm like, but you're there. And so it is not open to me. Right. Because you're judging McJudger face over here. Mm -hmm. I don't. I'm not going to come every Sunday to be judged by you. Right. That's not... And I remember that in our personal case, Sister Emily walked out of church one day when everyone was actually after a really lovely sermon and a really lovely service because she felt we were ignoring the sin in our congregation and she was no longer going to be a part of it and she walked out and no one missed her. We we were... Yes. You are ignoring the sin in your congregation? Yes, it's, uh, it's all very good to be loving and hug each other at the end of the service and everyone talk. No, but you're ignoring the fact that we're here to fight sin and there's sin in your congregation and I can't be a part of it. There's sin in every congregation. She also there's said sin that. In every human. That's my understanding. That I am an interloper who doesn't know anything. She, else. What was one of the things she said? She um, refused to watch baseball games because she said that people chewed tobacco in them. Yeah. Um, Correct. Uh, How much polyester did that bitch wear? Oh my god, layers of it. <laughs> uh, so I mean, I mean, know. she wore polyester like it was protection against you know the the cold and of it's outer also space in Leviticus, right? Directly uh, countermanded. But so. she did. She I think my favorite was when she stood up to testify that um, that she saw she used to go to the dance hall when Something she was a young nasty woman in the woodshed. No, I'm sorry. Well, more or less, she used to go. Uh, dancing when she was younger, and that was what she loved to do. And then one day, she saw the devil on the dance floor. Oh, very she dapper, Lithgow, huh? right? Very dapper, and uh, oh, she to... got horny one day. Well, <laughs> she saw that, a hot that dude. might have been her problem. <laughs> and so she understood this to be the devil, and she immediately fled. And now she doesn't listen to the radio. She doesn't listen to baseball games. You know. Probably she doesn't allow her brother her. to do these things one either. One orgasm. Just I, one. Um, <laughs> it might have killed her. I, whatever the issue was, she just was very upset with the world. And she yes, would always... because of right, what I just said. She would always drag her brother places. And the poor man, like I said, was... A disabled, developmentally was dis- disabled. Yes, and so he had no he joy had in no, life because sad. she was stifling him all the time and then she used, them, used him... As her as excuse. This is my this, this is, is my cross to bear, you understand. Mm-hmm. And and so when I was She's watching garbage. this performance, and I, I need to know what this actress's name is. Oh yeah, okay. Um 
I have seen her in things, but you have not seen her right. in things, was my understanding of um, your relationship to her. Yes, I don't watch the shows that she's in. I do. Um, <laughs> she was in Scandal and she was in Grey's. I don't recall her in either of them, but she's very familiar to me. Samantha so Sloyan. Yes. Okay. And she's outstanding because she nails that type. It was the same reason why when you're watching Dana Carvey playing the church lady and he said at first he thought that people were going to be deeply offended because, you know, he grew up in church. Yeah. He knew her, right? Yes, except everyone knows her. And, and that's what he said. Her. He said the most criticism, or not the most, the most supportive criticism he got. Because here's the thing. Were church that woman people. is not watching right. Saturday Night Live right. because but that is a sin. The so. most supportive criticism he got was from people in church who like, oh, we all know, know that, that woman. woman. We know her. And it's always a woman. <laughs> right. Which is the sad part. But yes, we all know who that woman is, and she's awful, and she's always the woman in the back of the church who is watching everybody else and seeing what they do and causing all sorts of problems. I mean, Steve Harvey even had a, a bit about sitting next to that woman because she would suddenly turn to him and just give all sorts of gossip on everyone in the church. And as a kid, of he suddenly found would. church interesting, like, wow, brother so-and-so is up to that, and sister so-and-so is doing that. I want to hear what else she has oh to say. Oh, my God. And that was his early experience of church, was like sitting next to this old gossip who just sat there spilling out her opinions and her uh, ideas about everyone else in the congregation. Yeah. So, yes, Samantha Sloyan, remember that name. She's just eats this part alive. She does. She really does. And I like, yeah, I liked mm -hmm. the last, the end with her. Right. Yeah. Uh, it was really interesting. So, uh, and and I think uh, right, correct. Yeah. <laughs> so, anything else? Yes, I would recommend Clickbait also. On Netflix. On Netflix. A limited series. And that just like Midnight Mass. It's also something else you don't want to talk too much about. No. Nope. Because it is twisty as hell. It's twisty. It takes place in our hometown. Yeah, Oakland looks great in it. Yeah, it does. And unlike some movies starring um, role models of mine, like Godzilla, which obviously Smash. was never made by a person in the Bay Area. No, East Bay Regional Park or something like that. It was uh, Oakland East Bay Park. Or, I yeah. think there was just this ridiculous sign. Of, the, the police are mobilizing in Bay Oakland. Area rapid like, Transit, always written out, never written as right. part. I was like, okay. It was very funny. Obviously, somebody who did not live in the Bay Area worked on that film, though yeah. it took place in the Bay. They definitely filmed this here. Yeah. Oakland, the yeah. clickbait was certainly filmed Specifically, in a lot on the marina, or not uh -huh. the marina, uh, Jack London Square and right. that whole area over there. Yeah, the moment I saw... They're driving past the police station regularly. I'm just like, okay. One of the characters walking from the Fox Theater, I'm like, oh... This or watching the uh, characters walking at Lake Merritt, which is what you know some of us, yeah, take walks there just for exercise. It's it's really, but it's a on top of that the local interest. It's also a very twisty, twisty, twisty thriller that has a very interesting hook, um, and a uh, a, a lead character who at first you're not going to like her, but she undergoes this process. Of going from kind of like the family screw up to oh you're talking about Zoe Kazan yeah I'm like which character do you think is the lead well I, I every episode has a different yeah but that's the character you start character. with it is the sister and consistently you, you follow yeah, her um, guys 
it's a terrible wig. Yeah. It's okay. I'm, it's never going to change. It's ne- There's no reveal, weirdly, at the end. She's just got bananas wig happening I, uh, in this thing. That Watching clickbait made me really terribly aware of bad wigs in movies. And I wound up watching another film and just looking at the hairlines and everyone going, all of those are wigs. Mm. Everyone's wearing wigs. Almost every yeah. piece of hair that you see, especially on women, mm-hmm. um, in Hollywood right now is right. a wig because yeah. it's way easier to deal with. Yeah, but for really continuity, ter- yes, I know. But wigs vary a lot <laughs> in quality. Right. And uh, the other thing is because these women are wearing wigs, uh-huh. a lot of them don't do anything with their actual hair. So then they have actual hair under wig and you can tell because now their head is massive. Well, they all wind up looking like Dora the Explorer yeah. with this sort of enormous pantalope like, head. It doesn't even touch her neck like yeah. ever at any point. And I have hair and it touches my neck. Was, uh, That's how a, I know it's mine. There's a film which will remain nameless because it has so many good qualities. I hate to mention this, but it started out as a student film and it was bought by a producer and they wound up reshooting parts of it with the same actors and distributing it in theaters. (laughs) That's not good. And uh, one of the issues is that one of the actresses there had to maintain the same hairdo Mm -hmm. over the two years Mm -hmm. that it took finishing this film. Which is why wigs now. You can see where it's just... Because it doesn't... At one point there is a hairpiece attached to make it look like she has the same hairstyle. Yep, yep, yep. And it looks so limp and ropey. I actually want to know if Katie Siegel's hair in Midnight Mass is a wig because it's... Gorgeous. If it's a wig, mm-hmm. good job on the wig. If it's her hair, good job on her hair because right. it looks so good. She's got like the perfect wave, the perfect mm-hmm. wave. It's stunning. It's probably a wig. It's probably a wig, but it looks great. Well, anyhow, that's our recommendation. So you recommend yeah. clickbait? I recommend both, actually, but just Sorry. warning the people in our audience yes, if you're sensitive to things like that, like I am, there's going to be scenes that will be really uncomfortable. Next week? We're going to soldier through. We're going to soldier through episode yep, we're six. we through this. Until then, if you have questions or comments or concerns, you can email us at latecomerspod at gmail.com. You can tweet at us at latecomerspod, or you can find us on Facebook. Uh, our podcast is now directly available on the Facebook app, or on the Facebook um, page. Yeah, I was surprised to find that. I couldn't podcasts. So they sent me an email. I attached both this one and Without Works. So you can find those online on Facebook if you don't want to deal with a podcatcher i recommend a podcatcher though but you do you we Uh, support you whatever your choices are i'd like to remind you to take your medicine and we would like to remind you better late late than than never. never only three more to go